We continue to consider the Westminster Confession of Faith and its teaching, and we come tonight to chapter 16, which is of good works. Now, uh, 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 just a few chapters earlier, we did faith, of saving faith. Then last week we did of repentance unto life. This is one of those topics that we need to understand correctly. In fact, it, not understanding this correctly is a symptom of not understanding the gospel doctrines correctly. But it's actually very helpful and, and important. So first, what is a good work? Paragraph one. Well, good works are only such as God has commanded in his holy word, and not such as, without the warrant thereof, are devised by men out of blind zeal or upon any pretense of good intention. You know, one of the worst things you see in the church, the broader church over the centuries, is the church takes the prerogatives of God. And here we have the problem where Christian leaders or churches will say something is a good work when they don't have the warrant of the word of God. Now, the Roman Catholic Church is famous for this. You think of no meat on Fridays. You think of observing Lent, and there there's merit there. Well, the Bible does not command any of these things, and you're injecting a system of works into salvation. You think of fundamentalism and a certain haircut. It must be done. Uh, and you, you dress with very particular way and, and man-made rules that do not have the warrant of Holy Scripture. And so the first thing it's saying is that our good intentions do not transform an action that is not commanded by God into a good work. A good work are the things that God has commanded us to do. Uh, you think of uh, Romans 10.2 where Paul's speaking about the, the Jews who, uh, uh, who crucified Jesus and the Pharisees that he'd been one. He said they have a zeal for God but not according to knowledge. That's not a slight problem. It was a fundamental issue. Micah 6.8, and, and a few verses before Micah 6.8, they're saying, you know, what does the Lord want us to do? What can we bring that will make him happy? Uh, well, he has told you, O oh man, what is good. His word has told us what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? So what the, 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 a good work are the things that God has commanded that we would do. Now, out of blind zeal, men have often uh, turned atrocious crimes into supposed good works. Uh, in John 16, 2, Jesus says, The hour is coming. When whoever kills you will think he is offering a service to God. Uh, there are people among evangelicals, so-called evangelicalism, who believe it's a good work to go to a gay pride event and, and scream in people's faces and tell them they're going to hell. Uh, that's not a good work. And, and these are things that are actually mean-spirited and, and in many cases violent, and they think they're doing them uh, for God. Well, they are not. Uh, Chad Van Dixhorn says, if we want to know or test what is good, what is pleasing, then we must study God's will revealed in the Bible. We discover what are good works in the Holy Scriptures. Now, in general, here's the question then. Where do good works fit in to our salvation? Well, if we understood justification through faith alone correctly, several chapters earlier, then we know that we're justified by faith alone apart from works. Uh, the good works that we are commanded to do, the, the good works that are necessary in their proper sense for the Christian life and even Christian salvation, are not a meritorious condition that contribute to our justification. Rather, they are the fruit and the evidence of our faith. 
And so paragraph two says, these good works done in obedience to God's commandment are the fruits and evidences of a true and lively faith. And by them, believers manifest their thankfulness, strengthen their assurance, edify their brethren, adorn the profession of the gospel, stop the mouths of their adversaries, and glorify God, whose workmanship they are, created in Christ Jesus thereunto, that having the fruit, their fruit unto holiness, they may have the end, eternal life. There's a lot in that. Well, first of all, a good work fulfills God. A good work is not only something that, this come up a little bit later. You can do something that is itself good, but if it's not being born of faith, it's not a good work. Now, that would be true anytime you're trying to justify yourself. You're doing, maybe, maybe what you're doing is biblical. Often it's not, actually. But maybe it is, and you're, and you're, you're seeking thereby, instead of trusting the promise of the Lord to justify us through faith, you're seeking to justify yourself that it's not a good work then. It isn't, it, it, it's not. Uh, good works must also be directed towards the right end, namely the glory of God. Uh, a good work is done for God's glory. Now, sinners are justified through faith apart from works, but then works are the fruits and evidences of true faith. Uh, it's been put this way. Uh, you're justified through faith alone, but your faith is justified by works. What do I mean by that? Well, James says, someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. He's not saying, he's not saying this is how I'm saved. There's a, there's a supposed contradiction between James 2 and, and the Pauline letters. There is no contradiction. Paul says we are justified through faith alone apart from works. James agrees with that. But he says, yes, but you, the only way to know whether you have saving faith, whether your profession of faith is valid and true, is by the fruits that it bears. Uh, Jesus says every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. Thus, by their fruits... You will recognize them. And so our faith, we're justified by faith alone, but as Calvin says, saving faith never actually is alone. It bears fruit, and that fruit bears testimony and manifests saving faith. That's the role of works. Now, in that sense, it's, uh, this is, uh, works are vital to Christianity, to Christian salvation. If you say, well, I, I'm, I have faith in Christ, that's what he says, but I have, I have no, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm pro-faith, I'm anti-works. James says, you're, you're not pro-faith. Because faith gives you union with Christ. And union with Christ gives you the Holy Spirit. And it gives you justification and also sanctification. So it's all organically connected. Now, there's great value in our salvation of good works. First, good works show our gratitude to God. There are gratitude to God. You are a chosen race, 1 Peter 2, 9, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so we want to, we want to, to show thanks to him by the manner of our living. I, I think being, it's one of the things where being a parent um, uh, helps us understand sort of God's perspective. We want our children to be grateful and then to manifest the fruits of that gratitude. And none can render, Robert Shaw says, none can render any proper recompense to God for his inestimable blessings, but all Christians are indispensably bound to glorify him by a universal and cheerful obedience. And so we want to inculcate and cultivate a spirit of obedience as a way of saying thank you to God. 
Now, secondly, good works strengthen our assurance. First uh, John 2, 3, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. He doesn't say we come to know him by keeping his commandments. We know that we have come to know him by keeping his commandments. It's not legalism, it's Christianity. Now, what's ironic here is you and I are living in a time, even in the Reformed world, the evangelical Reformed world, certainly portions of our own denomination, in fact, the GRN was in part founded to combat this, where good works are seen as nothing but a threat to the gospel. And uh, one of the main reasons why many people will not teach sanctification, they will not teach the necessity of good works, is they think it hinders people's assurance. And so, well, the problem with that is one of the key components of biblical assurance is the testimony of good works. To be sure, as we saw earlier, our assurance is founded on the promises of God's word. We know he will keep those promises. I think, I'm sure you do too. I think that all the time. Wow, that's mind-blowing. No, it's God's word. He's going to keep that. It's his promise. I, I bank on that. But you also look at your life, and you're not claiming merit from it, but you're like, you've been there. I've been there for my whole Christian life. And I go, you know, the truth is my life has changed. And I got a long way to go, but, there's, but, but I have been born again. And the, and the, the, the changed life, the, the works, the fruits, the obedience that has come out of that tells us, no, 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 I'm, I, I got massive issues, but I've been born again. And, I, and the good works testified. So at the very time when I, I think many campus ministries where there's a downplaying of good works because they assume that everyone's coming out of a legalistic background, and some are, by the way, and so they don't want to tell campus students, you know, you can't binge drink, you're not to have premarital sex, as if that's some, that what I just said is some kind of legalism. And they say, we don't want to talk about it, we want them to have assurance of salvation. Well, you're not going to have assurance of salvation while you're binge drinking or sleeping around. And John knows what he's talking about. By this we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. Therefore, brethren, 2 Peter 1.10, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Now, there he's talking about Christian graces, the inward graces particularly. He's not saying that you cause yourself to be elect. That's absurd. But you, you cause yourself to have confidence that it is true of you that because you're in Christ and the evidence of being in Christ is seen in your good works. It's so important to our assurance Good works testify to our consciences that our faith is true and real. Uh, furthermore, our good works edify our fellow believers. A good reason why we should cultivate Christian virtue and godliness, and we should be busy in doing good deeds. Bob was talking about you know, visiting the shut-in. There's a biblical good deed. And you're, 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 you're bringing blessing. We're to love one another and we're, we're building up the faith of others. There's all kinds of good deeds we do for one another. Jesus said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Chad Van Dixhorn says, if we want to bless one another and stir up more zeal, we need to engage in practical works such as giving to the needy. There's any number of them. Shaw says, those who are careful to maintain good works become patterns to others and stir them up to holy emulation. Now, you know, I was 30 years old when I was converted, and I still think of people who were more, who'd been Christians longer than I had been, who were more advanced in Christianity, and I, they had a huge impact on me. And it's exciting for you as you cultivate godliness. 
patterns of practical obedience and good works that us other Christians who are not as mature as you, and they're going, hey, that's really good. I, I, I'm going to do that. And, and, and you edify your brethren. Now, if you're a parent, your particular brethren uh, are your children. I always, I've, I've dedicated a book to each of my children, and I always said to my, to my beloved son and brother in Christ, 10,000 years from now, it's going to be more brother than Christ, my beloved daughter and sister in Christ. And uh, uh, few things are as embittering to Christian children than to hear all this Bible talk when their parents are flagrantly violating it. And so we edify people. We encourage them in the faith through good works. And we adorn our profession of the gospel. It's a garment that we wear while we witness the gospel and we stop the mouths of scoffers by good deeds. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of sinful people. 1 Peter 2, 5. 1 Timothy 6, 1. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Now, I don't have to tell you that the popular vernacular in culture is that a, uh, a conservative Bible-believing Christian is an ugly person, right? I mean, I, I, I haven't watched the shows, but I've heard about them. I'm not opposed to watching some of these shows. I just haven't. That, you know, in any sitcom today, the Christians are mean and hateful, and the gay couple are well-adjusted and kind, and they love each other. And there's a, that, that's not randomly happening. The, uh, there's, there's a, it's widely understood in our culture that if you're a Bible-believing Christian, you're a bad person. But the problem is when they actually meet a Bible-believing person. That's the problem of that merit narrative. And, when, and, and we ought, our kindness to people, our, our sac- self-sacrificing spirit of love, not only to fellow believers, but as Galatians 6 says, but to everyone. Uh, the good deeds that we do and the fruit of our faith should stop the mouths and put a, a lie to the, to, the, to the slander. By the way, if you read the second century church literature, this is what the Romans did. And many, if you think of the, the apologies written by Justin Martyr, remember our church history class on this, uh, and uh, uh, Tertullian's apology a little later, they were pointing out the manifest evidence of good deeds among the Christians, despite the slander that was widely spread. It's really important for you that you love your spouse, that you honor your marriage vows, that you uh, are devoted parents, that you're godly Christians doing good in your neighborhood. It's important to the broader testimony of the gospel in the world. And they glorify God. As Jesus said, let your light shine before others so they may give glory to your God who's in heaven. Be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You know, even if there was nobody else to see it, God sees it. And we live for an audience of one. And it's not that we're trying to earn brownie points. We always kind of have that thinking. We, we fight against it. We do it because we love him. We do it to please him. We do it for his glory. That he might have the glory of our salvation. We conform our lives to his word. By this my Father is glorified, Jesus said, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now the end of paragraph 2 points out that we are his workmanship. And that immediately brings your mind, I'm sure it was in their mind, that great statement of Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. What a great verse it is. And what God is he's saying is that God has good works prepared for you. 
There's a job you're going to take, and there's a colleague. My, my youngest son just got his first office in grad school, and he's got colleagues in the office. And God knew who they were going to be well, well in advance. And, uh, and he planned out godliness, good deeds for him to do. And so you and I, they're all right around the corner, the good deeds for, for us to do to the glory of God. We, you know, the other way of taking that word, we are, we're his workmanship, is we are his masterpiece. And so God not only saves us from the guilt of sin, he actually saves us from the power of sin and the corruption of sin progressively. We're never quite there in this life at best. And, and even the fruits of sin, he's saving us from them. And unto eternal life, now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Now, again, we're not justified by good works. But the whole of the Christian life, the whole of the Christian way bears fruit in the life that is to come. And it's not incidental. It's in that spirit that we're told in Matthew 25. I'm sure I'm going to quote them in a few slides. And it's so striking that when our Lord Jesus praises the just, those who are justified through his blood and his imputed righteousness, on the day of final judgment, when he gathers the sheep to himself and sends the goats into into hell, he will say to them, for I was hungry and you fed me. I I was naked and you clothed me. And it's it's very humbling to me. Isn't it interesting that the things the Lord thinks most highly about and that he's most attentive to are not the big works. You know, you wrote a book, you were, went on a big missions team. Those are all good things to do. He's most concerned about daily love, kindness, good deeds, mercy shown. And those, Jesus, I is, isn't it wonderful? And, and maybe you lead a quiet life. Maybe the world's never going to notice you. Maybe you're always going to feel like your name is never going to be put up in, in, in the bulletin. Christ sees it all, and he says, you did it for me. Uh, those good works are part of the whole of the salvation that is leading us into the life to come into glory. And he is excited about the least of your good deeds done in his name. Um, our good works, then, paragraph three, are enabled by the Holy Spirit. Their ability to do good works is not at all of themselves, but wholly from the Spirit of Christ. And that they may be enabled thereunto, beside the graces that they have received already, there is required an actual influence of the same Holy Spirit to work in them to will and to do of his good pleasure. Yet are they, yet are they not hereupon to grow negligent, as if they were not bound to perform any duty unless upon a special moment of the Spirit. But they ought to be diligent in stirring up the grace of God that is in them. Westminster Confession, chapter, paragraph, chapter 16, paragraph 3. And so good works are the fruit of our union with Christ through the Holy Spirit who he sends. And they're, they're making a distinction. It's not just generally, and that is true. We have gifts and graces. He's changed our hearts, changed our affections, changed our wills. But our good works are actually, there's an actual work of the Holy Spirit involved in them individually. And Jesus said, I am the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. So union with Christ through faith, that spiritually organic connection by which the ministry of the Holy Spirit comes into our lives is how we bear fruit. And he says, apart from me, you can do nothing, John 15, 5. 
And the famous memory verse, Galatians 5, to 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Again, there's that language. It's, it's the work of the Spirit bearing fruit in your life. And that is why it is that you are able to do good deeds. That is why you and I both are able to change and become more gracious and that the actual power of sin in our character and our habits and our actions should be loosening and falling away because of the power, the supernatural power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, as Paul says in Ephesians 1, which is not like but is that power that raised Jesus from the dead. The power at work in you enabling good works is the power that raised Jesus over the dead. And so all the things that sometimes they're hard to get started. Maybe you're, you're a fairly new believer and you, you, you have a hard time believing that you'll ever be able to do that. Uh, maybe it's to be a faithful, devoted husband who stops living self, self-centeredly but starts really devoting. Maybe it's a, a wife, a mother who's, who's very devoted sacrificially. Maybe it's in the workplace. Maybe it's in your, in your family. And when you start, you're like, oh, no, I just... No, no, you can, you will because of the power of the Holy Spirit, enables good works. By the indwelling Holy Spirit, God enables us to do good works, which otherwise we could not. Second uh, Corinthians 3, 5, Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. That's the kind of verse that someone like me thinks about a lot, because it's actually a very daunting thing to preach the word, which is the thing that I'm called to do. And just the whole process, sometimes we're wherever you're going, this is really more than I'm able to do. Uh, no, no. If we're called to do it, we have the sufficiency from God. We are able to do it. We act in faith. And there's things that you're called to do. I think particularly of our witnessing. You know, we're, we're so hesitant to witness and we're, we're anxious and frightened about it. I understand that verse perfectly well. We can do it. Why? Because of the enabling of the Holy Spirit, our sufficiency. Sometimes you'll be thinking, I don't even this person wants to talk about spiritual things. And I know this person is an atheist. Uh, uh, I don't even know. Of course, you want to prepare yourself as you can. But you may be, I've, I've been in many situations where, you know, I have no idea what I'm going to say. And um, some years ago, a member of our church said, can you go visit my brother who's an unbeliever in the hospital and persuade him to be a Christian? I mean, you can't say no to that as a minister. So I go to the hospital. This is guy I don't know. I'm in the I'm in the I'm in the uh, elevator going. Lord, I have no idea. I have no idea what's going to happen. But my sufficiency is of you. And we walk in. He goes, "Oh, you're the minister they sent to, to convert me into Christianity." I said, "Yeah, I am." You know, uh, are you willing? You give it your shot, Pastor. Okay, I'm going to. Or here's my shot. I'm like, Lord, my sufficiency is of you. You know. And so is yours. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, that actually is not about throwing a no-hitter. That verse is not about getting a 32 on your ACT so that you get Palmetto Scholarship and your parents don't pay so much money. I wouldn't exclude it, but it's not what it's about. He's actually talking about contentment. And he says, I know how to, I've learned how to be abased as well as to abound. But it is a general principle that I can do all things, but the all things in mind are not personal performance, so I succeed. They're glorifying God in my manner of life, and I can do it because of the indwelling Holy Spirit. We should have confidence. But, and they're very pastorally wise, but we should not therefore blame our lack of good works on some lack in the Holy Spirit. 
And they are opposing, you know, actually it's interesting, the, the Westminster Confessions written 1642 and following, and to be sure, a lot of their statements have Roman Catholic Catholicism in mind, but they actually had what is more or less Pentecostalism in mind too. They had a charismatic enthusiastic movement, and they some of the things they're going to say are going to have that in mind, and this is one of them. And, and you see it today. I will do a good work when the Spirit specially prompts me to do it. And I should do nothing unless specially prompted by the Holy Spirit. Okay, your special prompting of the Holy Spirit is the Bible. All right, if you have duties in the Bible, it's, it's, so yes, you're reliant on the special provision of the Holy Spirit, but you don't sit around and do nothing until you think you have some subjective prompting of the Holy Spirit. And we are responsible to do good works. So if we're not doing good works, don't say, well, it's not my fault, it's God's fault, because if, if he sent me more of the Holy Spirit, I would do it. That, that, that's not the way Scripture reasons. He supplies the Spirit. Look at Philippians 2, 12 to 13, great verse. By the way, Jeff Early's preaching Philippians when he gets his chance in the evening. There's so many great verses in Philippians. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now notice he starts with the command. And when he says work out your salvation, he doesn't mean save yourself. Work out the implications of your salvation. Work out godliness. Work out obedience. Work out, you're to be applying the Bible to your life and you're to be doing the good works. Oh, by the way, for it is God who works in you to will and to work according to his good pleasure. So they go together. Uh, we, what it does mean, though, is that we are to realize that it matters whether or not we're being strengthened in grace. I will say this, if you say, well, I come to church when I feel like it, and I don't really have time to read the Bible, and I don't pray. Well, you're not going to bear much fruit, because those are the means of grace that the Holy Spirit uses to strengthen you for those very things. And so we're to, we're to be seeking the, the Spirit through the ordinary means of grace. We're to be reading our Bibles, fan, fan into flame the gift of God, Timothy is told. Uh, we're, to be, we're to be praying. I, I tell you what... I'm so grateful for the prayers that are prayed by the elders and many of you for my ministry. And every time I hear, I'm like, thank the Lord for that. It's a very great, and sometimes I've said, Lord, you know, right now I'm not feeling like I have good reasons I can think of why you should answer my prayers, but answer their prayers. And we're praying for one another. We should be praying for our own lives. And so you have a duty, you have good works before you, then you should be praying for the Holy Spirit. So prayer and the word uh, are particularly, you're, you're seeking, you're, you're leading a lifestyle. I, I sometimes put it this way. I put it to my children. Reading your Bible regularly, like every day, and really being in the Word, living a, a Bible-shaped life, and praying, being part of the worship service of the church, is playing to win. It's playing to win. You, I had this conversation with my 18-year-old recently. Uh, uh, she went off to college. If you go to college and you don't attend church, and you're not you know, in Christian fellowship, and you're not reading your Bible, you're not in prayer, well, you're, don't be, what, what, it's not going to be a shock when you fall into sin. I also say, by the way, I'll find out about it. <laughs> and you, you know, I do write the checks. Uh, but uh, the, uh, but we're gonna, let, let's play to win. It's not legalism to play to win. 
I got X number of years to live. I got five children. I got one wife. I got this congregation. I've got all the things God's given me, you know, my measure of influence and care in. I want it to matter. And so I need to, I need to strengthen myself with the grace of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God, through prayer, through our worship together by, by, by pursuing the strengthening of the Spirit and how important is the role of prayer. That's kind of the main section, uh, because I don't want to go over. I'm going to go more quickly over the remaining four uh, paragraphs. And paragraphs four and five, I say, are the limits of good works. Paragraph four says this. They who in their obedience attain to the greatest height, which is possible in this life, so far from being able to supererogate or to do more than God requires, as they, are to, as they fall short of much of much which in duty they are bound to do. Do I have bullet points on this? I don't. Okay, yeah. This is paragraph four. So what's being said there? So if you attain to a very high eminence of godliness, you have not, you, you, and you start to think, you know, I'm really a great Christian. And, you know, frankly, I'm way over the standard. You have entered into folly, and you're in dire trouble. The best I can ever do is far short of what I owe to God. I am always falling short of what I am bound to do. And then paragraph five, we cannot by our best works merit pardon of sin. Never allow yourself to think, you know, God loves me today because, you know, I got up early, read my Bible, and I was cheerful to my husband or whatever. No, no, God loved you today because he loved you in eternity and he sent his son to die on the cross for your sin. It's actually spiritually crippling. And I think many, I know many, it's a question I often ask with someone struggling in a counseling situation. How do you think God feels about you? And they're always like, oh, God loathes me. Why is that? I haven't been doing good works. Well, okay, God loves you, and he loved you by sending his son to be the propitiation for your sins, and he calls you out of his love and through the Holy Spirit he sends to stop thinking that way. So never think that you're meriting pardon of sin or eternal life at the hand of God by reason of the great disproportion that is between them and the glory to come. Whatever you have done for God, what he is going to give to you is so much more. You'll see this in the, in fact, we're getting to this two weeks from now, I think, in the morning scripture reading, the parable of the talents, very important talent. And particularly in the Lucan version, so it's the version we're not going to be reading right now, we're reading Matthew. But he says, uh, well done, thou good and faithful you, you've been faithful over your ten minas, I will give you ten cities. Uh, ten minas will not buy you ten cities. And what he's saying is that the rewards we get, the blessings we get in our salvation so infinitely surpass anything we might ever do if we think there's some meritorious relation between them that we need to stop thinking that way. It's all of grace. The great disproportion between what we do and what he gives us. And the infinite distance that is between us and God. Whom, but by them, we can need... God's not making a profit out of my life. He's not satisfying the debt of my former sins. But when we have done all that we can, we have done but our duty and our unprofitable servants. Now, that's not negative thinking. It's just honesty. Now, one of my expressions is I want God to have a profit for my life. I'm thinking of the parable of the talents again. But, and that we are to think that way as long as we realize that He's invested a lot. His ROI in me is zero. He's not getting any. I I want my life to be useful for his kingdom, for eternity, for his glory, for the gospel. But the truth is, the net sum, it's all grace. 
He invested the blood of his son for me. And so I, I, I am an unprofitable servant at best. And because as they are good, they proceed from his spirit. So when I've done good things, he empowered them in the first place. So stop being proud of your good works. And as they are wrought by us, they're defiled. That's uh, uh, Isaiah 64, 4. Even our righteous deeds are as filthy rags. That's my, my problem is not my unrighteous deeds, if I'm being works righteous wise. My problem is that my righteous deeds are not righteous. And don't you, don't you, aren't you aware of yourself? You do something genuinely good for the Lord and then you inwardly boast and you're like, there I am. I, I just, I, I, I'm just a natural, in my flesh, I'm a natural defiler of good works. Uh, or you envy, or you resent, whatever. Um, they are defiled and mixed with so much weakness and imperfection, they cannot endure the severity of God's judgment. So let's never think that we've, we're, oh, we're so great, and, and look what we've, God really owes me. It's all of grace. I'm an unprofitable servant saved by a loving God. But, paragraph 6, my good works that are offered through faith in Christ are acceptable to God. I just said that my good works are never meritorious. They're always stained by sin. To the extent that they're not, that's the Holy Spirit. But, but God nonetheless accepts my, accepts my good works in Christ. Notwithstanding the persons of believers being, are persons being accepted through Christ, their good works also are accepted in him. Not as though they were in this life wholly unblameable or unreprovable of God's sight, but that he looking upon them in his son is pleased to accept and reward that which is sincere, though accompanied by many weaknesses and imperfections. Now the Bible teaches that our good works in Christ are acceptable to him, are pleasing to him. You, 1 Peter 2.5, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Hebrews 6.10, for God is not unjust so as to over, un, overlook your work and the love that you've shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. God values those things. And here's where Jesus, on the last day, he, he praises them. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me to drink. I was a stranger. You welcomed me. So Jesus is, he, look, these are sinners deserving to go to hell, you and me. By the way, that's, this is actually going to happen in our future. We're at, this is something that we're all going to be there when this happens. It's pretty thrilling to me. But he, he praises us for these good works that were inspired and empowered by his own Holy Spirit. And they said, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, thirsty, give you to drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you in sick or in prison and visit you? Again, notice it's daily acts of kindness and love and mercy. And the king will answer, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. How wonderful that he accepts our good works. And he blesses them. I think an analogy, I was thinking of this uh, uh, as a father with a little leaguer. And your little boy is going to play little league baseball. And so you spend hours. I, what I would give to have a baseball glove in my hand. And maybe Matthew would be 10 and Jonathan be 8. And to be playing catch, you know. And the first time that little boy gets a hit. And you're, what do you do? what's the father doing in the stands? boy, he's praising him. That child couldn't even, he didn't even own a bat unless you bought it for him. <laughs> you paid the dues for the things. You sat there and, 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 and like showed, you held your hands. And Here's how you swing the bat, honey. And then when he does it, because you love him. 
When he does it, you're, you're not sitting there going, well, look what I've done. You're going, way to go, Johnny. Way to go, Bobby. Awesome. You know, and, or it's your daughter. And, and, and I, I think, oh, I have such funny memories of, of Ellie and, uh, and Coach Pitch. In fact, her, her old Coach Pitch coach is visiting our church. And every time I see him, I think of Ellie so intense. And uh, the key to Coach Pitch is the coach's ability to hit the bat with the pitch. That's the key to it. Um, <laughs> And she get a little head, and I, Ellie, you're the greatest, you know. Um, that really is an analogy. Why? Because God loves you. God loves us. And he accepts in Christ your good works. And then lastly, paragraph 7, but works done by unregenerate men, although for the matter of them they may be things that God commands, feeding of the poor, the care for the sick, and of good use, both of themselves and others, yet because they proceed not from a heart purified by faith, nor are done in a right manner according to the word, nor to a right end the glory of God, they are sinful and cannot please God. That's vitally important. And so some we get some new president and he's not a Christian and he does great things and he fixes everything we think need to be fixed. And, you, and let's, what we should never do is say, oh, he's going to go to heaven. There's only one way to heaven. That's the blood of Jesus Christ. In fact, it is sinful to do good deeds that are not for the glory of God. And if you think about it, you'll see that that is true. The the whole motive, the whole aim of it, the whole trajectory of it, it is sinful. But they're so wise. But if they don't do good deeds, God's even madder about that. Well, obviously, if you're outside of Christ, then God, you're under God's wrath. But... uh, or they do not make a man meet to receive grace from God. You go, you know, that guy, there's someone God really ought to save him. There is no such person. Uh, yet their neglect of them is more sinful. I love that line. Yet their neglect of them is more sinful. Clearly they need to believe in Jesus and they need to be saved. Uh, Haggai 2.14, so it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And with so, so with every work of their hands, what they offer is unclean. You know, so we need to be careful what we say to our unbelieving neighbor. There's nothing wrong with saying good job, by the way. Uh, thank you for doing that to maybe a, an ungodly, effective politician or somebody on your street. But we never want to say, you know, God's pleased with you. No, no. Unbelief and self-glory. God is not pleased with the tower builders of Babel. He, he judged them. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their minds and consciences are defiled. And Jesus said, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Well, we are saved to good works. And so may you abound in good works. May you do so by the Holy Spirit. May you do so because you want to say thank you to the Lord. You want to edify your brothers. You want to adorn your profession of the gospel. And because you want him to have glory And in Christ, even our imperfect, otherwise sin-defiled good works are pleasing to our Father. Father, we give you glory. We pray that we would abound in good works, that we might show that we are your disciples, and that you might be glorified in and through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.